Okay, good. I didn't know what was going on. So am I supposed to talk now? Sing. Sing. Oh, okay. I'll just go with the flow here. Uh, Hey, it's good to be here, you guys, tonight. Let's laugh a little bit, okay? Let's laugh to start, uh, and then we'll talk serious. I like the translation humor and stuff, like I showed you the German thing this morning. I'm gonna do, I want to do a fake news report from Iraq that kind of does a translation thing. I don't think I showed this to you guys. This is a fake news report from Iraq. Once a stronghold of forces loyal to captured dictator Saddam Hussein, the city of Tikrit here in northern Iraq is now firmly under the control of American forces. Or is it? These members of the Iraqi resistance movement, still loyal to Saddam Hussein, think otherwise. The Americans tell lies. Each day our forces grow stronger. Each day we move closer to our goal of driving the infidel... What are they? Nothing. Carry on. Uh, Driving the infidels from our motherland. Uh, We are not afraid to... Are they subtitles? (laughs) They, They are, aren't they? What do I need subtitles for? Can't you understand what I'm saying? I studied English at the bloody American University in Cairo. (laughs) Well, obviously, I can understand what you're saying. Oh, you see how they condescend to us with their subtitles. Oh, maybe it's a teletext, you know, for the hearing is there. Teletext? No, a lot of TVs come with teletext nowadays. Wait, 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 say something again. My friend has an 80 Hey, how come he doesn't need subtitles? (laughs) Obviously, he's comprehensible. Look, if I speak perfect English, she sells seashells by the seashore. Picture paper, picture pickle, pickle paper. Round the ragged rocks, the rag... The situation remains as dangerous and volatile as ever here in northern Iraq. While the rebuilding continues... What? what? I can't understand you speak English. But where is your subtitles now? Who you think you're so good? Harry Downs, Iraq. Shut up! Uh, Okay. Okay. Okay, you guys, we're talking about this morning how the foundational structures of the world are being shaken. I believe by God to prepare the world for a massive harvest, uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. I believe that harvest is going to happen. And God is raising up an army in order to precipitate, bring in this harvest. The only question that we have to answer, are we going to be part of that army or not? That's the question. The army will be raised up. Some nations will participate in the harvest and other patients, uh, countries, uh, some places and countries will participate in the harvest and some places and countries are going to be complacent and not be part of the harvest and find themselves uh, missing out on the massive move of God in our time. That's the only question we get to answer, whether we're going to be part or not. God is raising up an army, no doubt about it. It's just, are we going to be in it or not? So the foundations of the world are radically changing. We talked about the political shaking that's going on. I'll go through ones that I didn't talk about this morning. We talked about the rise of Russia and Russia's involvement in this hemisphere and Iran, how it's rising up, trying to become a superpower that's really disrupting the whole world. Ultra conservatism in Islam on the rise in the Middle East. Uh, Muslims about to take over Europe. Absolutely no doubt Europe is radically Islamifying. And Europe is pretty much asleep. 
You know, uh, honestly, they really have such a high value on tolerance and multiculturalism and political correctness that most Europeans are asleep as their whole continent is being turned over to Islam. In fact, uh, let's see, there are lots of young, I'll just tell you, I'll just say this. We're a church, we speak truth. There's an article making the rounds of Europe in the past year called The Rape of Europe. And I'll tell you where the Europeans are at. This article by an intellectual in, I believe it was either the Netherlands or Scandinavia, said, studies show that when women are being raped, if they fight back, they are more bruised and hurt and damaged than if they just succumb to the rape. And they said, we are being raped by Islam. It's going to be better for us if we just sit back and accept it and not fight it. And then we will live a good life, you know, and those and then Islam will be Muslim and will be gone. So that's the condition of Europe. It's in bad shape because they don't know God, because we only societies that serve God have a hope for the future. Societies that don't believe in God have no hope for the future. So they don't reproduce and they don't even care what's happening. Talked about China, you know, (laughs) having uh, a space program, India and moon landing. You know, it's amazing what's happened politically in the world. The economic shaking we talked about, America losing its superpower status, this credit crisis actually damaging our country and our status in the world beyond belief. The the continual decline of the stock market and all the financial markets in the world is is having a radical, radical uh, upheaval. In the world, you know, seven years to learn Mandarin because of the rise of China. Here's the ship of China coming towards America as we're relaxing on our inner tube, you know, like out in the ocean. You know, that's really a good picture of what's really happening. You know, Uh, three of the top four banks in the world are Chinese. You know, China threatens to shut down America twice in just the last year. Uh, because they have the ability to do it just by selling off all our dollars and calling in all our debts. So radical chaotic shift. I talked last year about this shift, which has happened. The supply of natural resources is being shaken. The whole world runs on oil. And guess who's cornering the oil and the oil market? It's India and China that together are almost 40% of the world's population. So they together have formed a block and are buying oil and literally are in major control of the world's oil markets. You know, this is a historic partnership. We've never seen anything like it. That's how radical the shaking is in the world. It's absolutely unheard of uh, that this kind of thing would ever happen, this kind of partnership. They are even buying oil wells together so that they don't have to negotiate with governments for the oil. They just take it right out of the ground themselves. And anytime India and China really want to shut us down, down, they can use the oil weapon against us uh, very easily and very radically. You guys, there's a great book. I really encourage Christians to read non-Christian books. There's a great book by Thomas Friedman, who's an international writer, I believe, for the New York Times. He does some great books like The World is Flat and stuff like that. Well, his latest book is called, oh, I keep forgetting, Hot, Flat, and Crowded. And he talks about the condition of the world and that the reality is is that we, uh, we in America uh, really have to look at our use of fuel like oil and use our technology to get off oil so we don't wind up at war with China or other countries over this kind of natural resource. Now, his solution, he's a very, very, how do I say it? Very, uh, he hugs trees more than I do. I like trees, I hug them. 
but he's a real tree hugger, you know, because so he's kind of on the whole global warming thing. And I don't know if the earth's warming or not. You know, I don't know about what any of, uh, you know, what's true or not true in that realm. I do believe we need to be good stewards of the earth and good stewards of, of technology and good stewards of our resources. And I think we can do better than we're doing. And he's advocating that we really work on this because it's a critical problem in the world is the oil problem. And so hot, crowded, and flat. Yeah, hot, flat, and crowded. That's awesome book by Thomas Friedman. Read that book. Highly recommend it. PetroChina. See, this is how powerful China is in the oil industry. The day that PetroChina on the stock market went public, it had a value of over $1 trillion. That's more than GE and ExxonMobil combined, two of our largest American companies. So that shows you how radical this economic and oil shift is in the world. Our international security is being threatened and shaken like never before. Chinese dragon awakens. China is building its military force faster than anyone ever dreamed and have become a global superpower militarily. In fact, the United States government right now, we could not win a war with China if we engaged China. Every uh, Western intelligence agency contacted our government and said, do not engage China over Taiwan. You will lose. Chinese generals being radical to say we're prepared to use nukes against the U.S. You know, back when he said this in 2005, you know, they didn't have a lot of capability to do that, but now they do because you know what they've done? They've planted extensive nuclear missile deployment areas all over China. They're showing up uh, in satellite pictures, you know, multiplying faster than anyone ever dreamed. Uh, Here's a satellite photo just from a few months back or last year where a satellite picked up these uh, nuclear submarine bases that China's been building all along their coastline that no one knew were there. They now have uh, uh, nuclear submarines uh, traversing the world. China has first strike nuclear capability anywhere in the world. And so China is is a power that's risen up. This is actually a threat to our security here in the U.S. in a major way. Ahmadinejad, the bad boy of Iran, you know, is saying the West has failed in the Iranian nuclear crisis. We have. He has played it strategically and well. It is, uh, there's no doubt that Iran is on their way to nuclear weapons. Uh, the only question is, are they going to be allowed to do it? There's only two people, two countries that could stop them. That would be the U.S. or Israel. And either one is going to involve a war. It's going to be a big mess, you know. And so the, the Middle East could just go uh, really erupt in a nuclear way. It's not going to be happy because they're pursuing nukes. The other Muslim countries around them are pursuing nukes. Intelligence reports have come out that the 18 Muslim countries around Iran are also trying to get nuclear weapons to protect themselves against Iran because Iran's declaring itself the leader of the Muslim world. And the rest of the Muslim world is saying, no way, dude, you know, because they have a different form of Islam in Iran than the Islam in the rest of the world. So that is a major powder keg where Iran's going after nuclear weapons. All these other countries going after nuclear weapons. I may have told you this, but I really believe, I mean, if you've been in Muslim cultures, in, in many of them, they're very emotional. They're very emotional cultures. They kind of get a little hot-headed at times, just to be honest. And so to think of a bunch of hot-headed people in the Middle East armed with nuclear weapons, it makes me a little, gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. So I think we need an international law. Everyone in the Middle East take two Valium every morning. We need to sedate the entire Middle East and bring the level of emotion way, way down 
because it's a powder keg. It really is. But these are major security threats happening in the world. Why is God shaking and doing all this to make us insecure and afraid, you know, around the world? So we'll look to him and put our confidence in him and realize that all of this, uh, we can put our security in nothing. Do not put your trust in princes or in mortal man who may fail. That's what Psalm 146 says. Any trust we're putting in our military, our government, the United Nations, any of that, our money, our stock market, it's a false trust. And God's going to shake it to shake it in order to show us that it's a false trust so we can be revived, so we can take the world for Jesus. Interpol saying the Al-Qaeda threat is undiminished, and it is. It's still there. Scotland Yard says Al-Qaeda is thriving despite the war on terror, and it is, you guys. Just because we haven't had a major attack in this country since 2001, don't get relaxed because they have other plans, and Al-Qaeda has not gone away. What's our only hope? The Lord Jesus Christ. That is my firm belief, my absolutely firm belief, is there's no other hope. You guys, here's a picture of a tsunami. It's kind of, it's, the projector's bright so you can't see it. You guys, okay, I'm going to tell you, okay, this is really gross. So I'm going to tell you something really gross. I'm warning you so that if you don't plug your ears and then you can't get mad at me afterwards, okay? I learned a great lesson when I was a baby Christian. I was the chief microbiologist in a hospital in Berlin, Germany. I was a radical atheist communist working for communist global revolution in Berlin, Germany, when people from YWAM came through uh, and dragged me kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God, leaving a trail of peanut butter and jelly behind, because that's all we ate in those days, you know, Um So I got radically saved. And um, early on when I was working in the hospital, this is the gross part, just telling you. I learned one of the most critical lessons I've ever learned in my life. I was on call. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. My beeper went off. I had to rush to the emergency room. I'd never seen any trauma like in an emergency room. And here was a guy on the table that had been in a motorcycle accident. And literally, his stomach was all, his torso was just all ripped open, and his liver and other organs were hanging out. And I was, like, freaked out because I'd never seen anything like this. As I walked in the room, they were just pulling his helmet off his head. And though he was unconscious, he was screaming in pain, and his whole scalp came off with the helmet. Okay? I told you it was gross. Okay. But it's important. The doctor handed me, the doctor, Dr. Ahmed, I'll never forget, an Egyptian doctor, hands me the needle and thread and says, sew his scalp back on. I said, I've never even sewed on a button, (laughs) let alone sew his scalp back on. And I handed the needle and thread back to Dr. Ahmed, who handed it back to me and said, I have to put his liver in or he will die. You sew his scalp on because... I don't have the time to sew his scalp on or he will die. So I learned priorities. So I sewed his scalp on. And there wasn't the hair club for men in those days, but I'm sure the dude needs a hair club for men now, you know, uh, you know, if he's still around. Okay. I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. There are priorities. There are certain things that are existential threats that will threaten our very existence and other things that are not so important that do not threaten our existence. And we have to focus. We have to focus on the things that are existential threats. Because if we do a lot of sewing on of scalps 
and ignore the livers hanging out, no matter how much you sew on the scalp and get it just perfect, no matter what you fix on the arm, well, you can fix all this other stuff. But if you don't get the livers back in right, the patient's going to die. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, I believe we have six very critical things we must prioritize in world evangelization. Oh my gosh, it's 719. We're going to go a little late. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. Okay, so, okay, some of you are saying that. You really hot and happening guys from Narrowgate. <laughs> but other kids, other people with kids may not think that. So I'm just going to say, if I go too late or you're bored, you can leave. Okay, I won't be offended. People walk out of me all the time. Okay, yeah, it happens. I'm used to it. The Romans, the Romans preserved their empire for 1,200 years with a strategy of having three different armies or three different forces. They had the police force that policed Rome. Then they had another army that worked amongst the colonies, the subjected colonies of the kingdom. Then they had the Roman legion, 300,000 troops. And, and each one had their realm of priority. The police force took care of the riots in Rome and everything else. And that's all they did. Then they had the army that would suppress the rebellion in the colonies that were conquered, but sometimes would rebel. But the Roman legion was only focused on what the Romans called the distant empires. They knew that only the distant empires were an existential threat to the empire. That as long as those distant empires were held back and brought into subjection when necessary, the empire would uh, stay strong. So for 1,200 years, with 300,000 Roman legion, they preserved their empire. And there would be a threat out on the distant empires. And the Roman legion would march from Rome. Uh, and they'd march at three miles an hour, steady pace, three miles an hour. They'd march through Rome and ignore all the riots. Because they said they called them glittering pseudo-targets. They looked like glittering, ooh, shiny, pretty, look at me. <laughs> They're right there in their face, and they look like a legitimate target, but the Romans knew if we focused on this, we're going to lose the empire. It's a scalp. It's not a liver. And they marched past the riots in Rome. They said, we've got police to take care of that. You know, they marched past. They go through the colonies. There might be a rebellion. And they ignored that because they said, this rebellion will not bring down the empire. You know, and it's a glittering pseudo target and they marched by. They said other people will take care of this. They went out to the distant empires and using that strategy, they maintained their empire for 1200 years. Brothers and sisters, we have to do the same. We must focus on what I believe are six livers hanging out world evangelization. A happier or better way to say it. There are six tsunami waves that are growing in the world. A tsunami will often start a thousand miles out into the ocean. You don't even know it's coming. And it builds over hours and hours, bigger and bigger and bigger. And you don't even know it's coming. You know when you... Here's a tsunami hitting uh, out in Asia. You know, this is a person on the beach. Here's the wave coming in. You know when you know, here are people standing along the shore as a tsunami hits. You know when it's hitting? You know when you know? Ten seconds before it hits you. That's when you know the tsunami's coming. In fact, and then by then it's too late. You're trying to run away and it's too late. We have six of these kinds of livers hanging out tsunamis that have been building around the world that literally are a challenge to the kingdom of God right now and are actually a threat to even our own security and safety here in America. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we must focus a whole new mission force on these six, tar these six areas we're going to talk about real briefly. Northern India and the Himalayas, Europe, 
the Sahel Belt of Africa, Central Asia, China, and Iran, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, that part of the world. These are all livers hanging out in world evangelization. Now, when I look at Christ Church, your missionaries are in great places. You've got awesome missionaries in all the right places in the world. And as when they went out, they were going to the right places. Now, what I, what I believe we need to do in the body of Christ is send out a whole new mission force of 100,000 brand new missionaries out of North America in the next 10 years to these six parts of the world. And that's only half of what we need. Globally, we need 200,000, but our job is 100,000 of those to go to these six areas. And it doesn't matter if we win Mexico or Brazil or Guatemala or even South Africa. Those are all scalps. We can win them, and that's great. We want everyone everywhere to get the gospel. Everyone everywhere. Mission strategy is not about the value of souls, because every soul is valuable. Mission strategy is how do we get the gospel to the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time? That's what mission strategy is all about. And to do that, we have to prioritize, because some of these things make it harder to reach the world for Jesus. So we've got to take care of them so it's easier to reach the world for Jesus and more people get saved, okay? So we've got to send up 100,000 brand new missionaries out of North America. You know what? Uh, the one thing I don't want, a number of things I don't like about Thomas Frieden's book that I shared with you, the hot, flat, and crowded book. He said, you know, this is our greatest opportunity as America to rise up and reclaim our place in the world by leading the world in new technologies to uh, uh, energy technologies to preserve the environment and everything. But he said, you know what? He said, I have no hope that we'll do it. He said, we're too complacent. We're too comfortable. We're so relaxed, he said, and so undisciplined. And he said, now I know it's not you guys in this room, but he said, our young people are so complacent and live lives of comfort and do not know what it means to sacrifice or work hard to the point that we will not. He said, I don't, he doesn't believe we're going to rise up as a country to meet the challenge and the tsunamis are going to come over us. Now, that's his assessment. I have great hope that the church of Jesus Christ will rise up with great authority and power, you know, and, and fix the problem. I do believe he's right when we assess this generation that is, does not know the Lord. My only hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit in our young people, you know, that will empower the young people in the church to rise up in sufficient numbers to do what we need to do. I'm really trying to say, ooh. And you guys, I honestly believe this. I believe this with all my heart. The future in the world firmly rests in the hands of pastors like Pastor Dan. And missions directors like Lauren, wherever she is, wherever you are, Lauren, where are you? There you are, Lauren Rocks. The future of the world, the future of the world directly rests on the decision making of our pastors and our missions pastors and missions directors and our missions executives. I really believe that. Where we send missionaries, we will take authority in the spiritual realm and we will squash the forces of darkness that are trying to overcome the world. Where we don't send missionaries, those principalities and powers will remain entrenched and strong and continue to do the work of killing, stealing, and destroying and flying airplanes into buildings and all sorts of other things. And so literally, it doesn't matter. Ooh, I almost, I was really going to say that. I was really going to say, to me, I don't think it really matters who the next president is. 
you know, I think honestly, we're in bad shape no matter who gets in. The only thing that matters is what do we do as the church of Jesus Christ? Because we're the only ones who can fix the root issue of every problem on the planet. We're the only ones that matter. So I couldn't even tell you who's ahead or not. I haven't seen one debate. It's not because I'm not interested. I've just been doing the work of the kingdom. And it does. I really believe that is that I'm putting I'm putting my votes where I think the most change can come from. And that is raising up a whole new mission force out of North America. Okay, we're talking about China just a bit. I showed you these camps. You guys, we need tons of new missionaries to come to China. Listen, China's rising up to rule the world. I want to give a call tonight for missionaries. I want to give a call at the end. Okay, I'm going to go a little late. I'm sorry, Lauren, we can't do this. Is that okay? If you're bored or tired, go away. At the time you're bored or tired, it's okay. But I'm just going to talk, if that's okay. Do you mind, Pastor Dan? Am I going to offend anyone if I can? Okay. Listen, you guys, we've got to. You know what? We've lost China twice now. We have lost China two times. The first time is when... uh, Genghis Khan and Kublai Khan, his grandson, they had the largest empire the world had ever seen from the Pacific all the way to Poland, from the top of Russia all the way down to India. And Marco Polo, the great explorer, made it to Karakoram, the the capital of the Mongolian Empire, and saw Kublai Khan. And Kublai Khan said, I want to unite my empire. Uh, The largest empire the world's ever seen. I want to unite it, and I want to unite it around a common religion. He said, and I want to unite it around the common religion of Christianity. And here's the exact quotes of what he said to Marco Polo. If you will give me 100 teachers of the Christian faith, then I will convert in all of my barons, and then there will be more Christians in these parts than there are in your parts. God was trying to give the church China and all of the Mongolian Empire, which was huge. Marco Polo went back to Europe all jazzed. He went to the leader of the church. There was only one at that point. And said, Kublai Khan wants 100 missionaries. And it's also recorded in history the exact response of the leader of Christianity who said that godless barbarian doesn't deserve the gospel. And they did not send missionaries. Marco Polo worked for 20 years to find uh, missionaries willing to go. He found two men after 20 years. One got halfway to Mongolia, turned back. He said, it's too hard. I'm going back to Europe. The other got to the courts of Kublai Khan in Karakoram. After he was there a short time, he said, these people smell bad. The food's really skunky. I don't like it. I'm leaving. And he left because of wimpiness, complacency, desire for comfort. Kublai Khan was so upset. He said, I tried to give my empire to the Christians and they don't want it. He turned to Tibet, to a monastery called uh, Sagen Monastery in Dege, Tibet. He said, will you send me some Tibetan Buddhist monk missionaries who went, to, who went up to Karakoram instead of the Christians? And within five years, 90% of the firstborn males in Mongolia were turned into Tibetan Buddhist uh, missionaries who spread Tibetan Buddhism throughout China and the whole, uh, the whole uh, uh, empire, Mongolian Empire. God tried to give us China, and we turned it down. It happened again. 
there was another great missionary named Matteo Ricci. Good Italian dude. <laughs> you know, I'm half Italian, and I really, I'm half Italian, half German. You know, it's kind of a, it's a wild mix, but it's a good mix. So I like both sides of my family. I love the Italian side. My mom lives with me now. My dad passed away, and my mom's like her Italian genetics have kicked in. Like, bambino, you're so skinny. You know, eat pasta. You know, she cooks for me. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, and so uh, Matteo Ricci. A great Italian missionary, a Jesuit, you know, the intelligentsia of the Catholic Church, the only church at that time. He went to China as a missionary. And you know what? He was brilliant. He was down in, like, Hong Kong area, and he sent a clock up to the emperor of China, like a little wind-up chiming clock. You know, they had no clocks in China before this. And it was a brilliant move because he sent it up the river as a gift to the emperor. And the emperor was totally excited about this gift of this newfangled clock thing, which worked well for a week. And then it stopped. (laughs) And he said, bring me that man who sent me this clock. And he brought Matteo Ricci into the courts right in the forbidden city, right into the royal palace. And Matteo Ricci was the official clock dude for the, the, the emperor's palace, the forbidden city in China. And if you go to the Forbidden City on tour, you will find a clock museum there. And that's the result of Matteo Ricci, one of the most strategic missionaries, you know, ever in the world who introduced clocks to China. Well, he maintained the clocks. And while he was maintaining the clocks, he was preaching the gospel. And most of the intelligentsia in in the Forbidden City, in the royal palace, converted to Christianity. The vast majority of the intelligentsia. The emperor himself was on the verge of conversion to Christianity, and again, in what we call the rights controversy, don't want to go into it, but again, from Europe, the leader of Christianity shut it down and said, you know, we don't want you working there anymore, and pulled Matteo Ricci out just as the emperor was on the verge of getting saved, and again, we lost China. Brothers and sisters, God is trying to deliver China into the hands of the church again. I believe this opportunity in the universities that we've been working on, that we're, do, we're working on, where 50 to 80% of these top students are getting radically saved, who are the future leaders of, country, I, of the country, I believe this is equivalent to Marco Polo in the courts of Kublai Khan. It's equivalent to Matteo Ricci. Who knows how long the government's going to leave this door open? You know, and so you know what I need? I need a whole bunch of missionaries. We can do this mostly with 10-day outreaches from people on churches just coming for 10 days on a short-term outreach. But I need literally thousands of full-timers who will be planted in China for five months at a time. The Chinese have given us the top 100 universities in China. They've opened them up and said, would you come and teach biblical ethics in the top 100 universities of China? You guys... I need thousands of young missionaries who will say, I will come into YWAM. I want to get trained. I want to live in China at least half of the year so I can facilitate teams coming from churches all over America and from youth groups all over America. And so we need, this is the kind of thing that it's our hour to rise up. And either we will fulfill our calling in the, uh, right now in this season or we'll miss it. And, a tsunami, and tsunami waves are going to hit our own country. So this is our time, you guys, and we've got to really look at what we're doing and make some radical, uh, radical commitments as the church in Jesus Christ. In China, I'm really going to wind down really soon. <laughs> the underground church is working to recruit, train, and send out 100,000 missionaries. 
you guys call back to Jerusalem. They know the gospel has been going in a westward way around the world from from Israel to Greece, to Europe, to England, to America, across now to China. And they said, we've got to bring it around from China back to Jerusalem and complete this circumnavigation of the world by the gospel. And the entire Muslim world is between China and Jerusalem. And they said, we need to raise up 100,000 missionaries. You guys, you know what? There's only 2,000 missionaries in the Muslim world. Because we haven't sent missionaries there, they're flying airplanes into buildings. The principalities and powers are strong, inspiring people there to kill, steal, and destroy, and fly airplanes onto buildings and strap on explosive belts and go into pizza parlors, see? Because we haven't sent missionaries, only 2,000. That's only two missionaries for every one million Muslims. And wherever missionaries are, Muslims convert. The problem isn't resistance to the gospel. The problem is not enough missionaries. If the Chinese are successful, they will multiply missionaries to the Muslim world 50 times. Do you get the strategic importance of that? So you know what? They don't know how to do it. The Chinese church has been oppressed for 70 years. And they've been, you know, held back and they don't have any training. They don't know how to send missionaries. Okay, they've been working on it since two. Actually, they've had the vision for 70 years. But they've only been able to start sending missionaries since 2000 undercover. And brothers and sisters, they only have a few hundred out. But let me tell you, here's another opportunity. God has connected. Oh, yeah, here's what they want to do. That's a cool thing. We really need to see that happen. You guys have heard of the heavenly man. I heard he was here. Brother Yoon was here. Well, you know what? God's connected me at the hip with his mentor, a guy named uh, Shu Yongsha, who is the heavenly man's mentor, who is in prison. And Shu and I have become like blood brothers, you know, and he and Yoon and a guy named Enoch Wong are heading up back to Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, we need to rise up and help the Chinese church get the 100,000 out. Here's, here's a shoe, you know, a, a BBC article about he was tortured. He was in prison with the heavenly man, you know, at the same time on a number of occasions. Brothers and sisters, God gripped. We, we preached together across uh, Korea. Quinn, one of the guys with me, stand up and wave at everyone, Quinn. Yeah, Quinn's a good guy. He's the guy who sings. That's what they call him at our church, New Life in Colorado Springs, uh, because he really sings well. Now, we traveled Korea, raising up a prayer movement for the underground church in China, you know, and and Shu and I just got really, really close. And you know what? Um, He's... I'm one of only three Westerners that have been placed on the international leadership of Back to Jerusalem to help them get missionaries out. But you know what? I need a whole bunch of new young missionaries around me that I can train to go to China to help me train underground missionaries in China and get them out. You guys, we don't know. Am I going? Oh, I'm supposed to quit in two minutes. Okay. Can I? Is that okay? You guys... We have got to toughen up in the body of Christ. It is time to toughen up. It is time to get holy. It is time to stop messing around with sin. If you're messing around with sin, this is the time to stop. This is the time to, to get, not get distracted by the things of the world that are going to rust and burn up and go away. You know, Let me just tell you, I haven't seen anything on TV other than Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> That's worth watching. (laughs) 
It's all empty mental calories. That's what it is. It's empty mental calories that will rot your soul. It's time to turn off the TV and start praying. It's time to get serious about God. You guys, we know nothing. We, my, I just, well, I'm around these kinds of people all the time. Let me tell you, hanging out with my friend Shu. Yeah, I'll get to there. Thank you. Hanging out with my friend Shu. It's just, we're, our hearts just bonded. Let me teach the first time we're together. Uh, you know, we were, we were praying, you know, he only speaks Mandarin. I only speak, I don't speak, I'm trying to learn because he's 69. He's not going to learn English. So that's why I've got, got the Rosetta Stone thing too. But when his interpreter, we were together with his interpreter, we were praying, you guys. And he said, Fred, he said, you're the first Western Christian leader that I met that I feel really understands us because as we were talking and sharing fellowshipping he realized that ways that God has called me over the past 35 years you know of intense commitment uh, you know really mirrors them he said here is our commitments for our back to Jerusalem missionaries and underground church uh, leaders in fact Shu is over his churches have 58 million believers in China the underground church that's half the Christians in China he said, Lordship is salvation. Lordship is salvation. If Jesus is not our Lord, we're not saved. The Bible doesn't say Jesus is our Savior and Lord. 27 times it says he's our Lord first and then he's our Savior. And so submitting completely to the Lordship of Christ, whatever you say goes, God, whatever you want me to do goes, what you want me to do with my life, my time, my talent, my treasure, my money, everything is yours. I am a bond slave. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Lordship is salvation, you know. So they have a high, they have a high standard of salvation. He said, and people's calling confirmed by trial and fire. We don't know what it means. You know, we think it's a trial and tribulation if we don't get the parking spot, you know, we want the first few times around the block. Talk about trials and tribulations. Shu himself has been, mm, I'm not going to go there. But our callings confirmed by trials and fire and tribulation, you know. God's field confirmed that every single Christian and pastor knows where has God called me to be a pastor in the underground church? Where has God called me to be a missionary in the Muslim world? But that's strongly confirmed because people are seeking God to hear and listen. And they take the time to listen and hear God so that God gives a strong confirmation. Covenantal bond with co-workers. He said, he said, we've got to, our lives depend on our ability to trust one another. And so he said, our relationships go deep because we spend a lot of time with each other and covenantal commitment. So we learn each other's uh, hearts and we have this bond that makes us invincible when we stand together and go out to do things out on the field. So he said, strong covenantal community bonds in the church. Then this one is hard. It's hard for us, especially, you know, in the West. We're we're not used to being under persecution uh, like the Chinese church and everything else. He said, we make every leader, every pastor, every missionary pray about God's specific will for their lives for marriage. He said, we found that 20% of pastors are called to be single because it's so dangerous where they're pastoring that they can't even, they can't take the risk of having a family. It's so dangerous, you know. 
And uh, then they make that commitment in order to, to lead the, the church of Jesus Christ. He said a third of the back to Jerusalem missionaries, as they pray and submit their marriage rights to God, about a third, God says, don't get married because the fields I'm calling you to in the Muslim world are going to be very dangerous. And, uh, and you need to have this kind of a commitment, you know. And then he said they also, everyone must be prepared in their hearts for martyrdom. And unless people meet... Uh, these six conditions, they cannot be a leader in the underground church and they cannot, you know, be a back to Jerusalem missionary, you know, and we wept together because I realized this man understands the heart of Christianity. You know, this is why we're such good friends and we're bonded. You guys, I don't think um, I'm not saying we have to live like that, but we have to move a lot more in this direction than where we're living right now. If we're going to be serious and take the world for Jesus, because this is life or death, spiritual life or death, nations and billions of destinies hang in the balance. And the world is not won by people who are not serious. So we either get in the game and we play it with all of our hearts or we're going to sit on the sidelines. And if we sit on the sidelines, we're going to be overrun by tsunamis and all sorts of other things. Oh, you guys. So you know what I need? I need a bunch of young missionaries who will come with me. I'm not saying go. I'm not going to stay comfy in Colorado Springs and say, you go have fun storming the castle. I'm saying I need a whole bunch of young missionaries who will come with me and hang out with Shu and come with me to Burma (laughs) where we're training underground missionaries and underground pastors. Come with me into China into some of the dangerous parts of the Henan province where martyrdom is high and persecution is high. And come with me and I will train you to help me train the underground church in China. Where are these missionaries going to come from? They're going to have to come from churches like Christ Church. They have to come from churches like mine in, 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 in Colorado Springs like New Life. You know, they're not going to it's like there's that other church. God send them. That doesn't work. (laughs) See, it's got to come from our churches or the ones that have life like yours. You know, you know what the biggest hindrance to world evangelization is? Parents. It's true. You're laughing because, you know, it's probably true. It is true. Parents are the biggest hindrance the evangelization of the world, parents who do not trust that the Lord our God is a good and loving God who knows how to protect their kids and who knows how how to keep them safe. Parents who out of fear or false hopes of, I want my kid to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, they have hopes for their kids that may not be what God's dreams are for their kids. See? Parents who try to force their own vision on their kids or don't release them because of fear are the biggest hindrance to the kingdom of God. See, this may sound radical to you, but I'm telling you the truth. There are six tsunami waves coming and they're coming towards our country, too. Are we going to rise up and get missionaries out to the base of those waves while they're a thousand miles out in the ocean? So that by the time they're here, they're only about 20 feet tall. We can say, surf's up, get your board. Come on, let's have some fun. See, it's either going to crush us or we're going to get it down to a little surfable level, you know, and it depends on decisions we make right here. Oh, my gosh, there's so much to say. I could say a whole bunch more. You guys, so I need people who will come, young people who will come and come with me, learn how to train others in China. Oh, my gosh. Could I just take a few more minutes? Okay. 
Oh, you guys. I am. I showed you this project. I think one of the services, not both, in Afghanistan. Listen. One of our sisters fell on the field in Afghanistan this week. Gail Williams, 37, shot by the Taliban on the streets of Kabul. Because as she was doing relief work in, in Afghanistan, people were converting to Christ. So she was martyred. It was CNN. It was in all the big news. Why is it so big in the international news? Because it's so rare. It's rare that Westerners get martyred. I think it's going to get more and more common, but it's incredibly rare. Probably in the past, in the past 10 years, only about five or six in 10 years out of over a half a million missionaries around the world. Martyrdom happens, but it's normally nationals on nationals, rarely a foreign missionary, though I think it's going to increase. But she fell on the field in Afghanistan. Afghanistan's a dynamic that's a tsunami wave. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, it's one block, it's growing. It's a tsunami wave that's going to overtake us. It is. Tali, the Talibs are, the Taliban are rising again in Afghanistan in the south. You know, and what's going to stop it? There's not enough troops. Mm, there's a lot to sow. Is our Christianity real or not? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So we're, I, we want to prevent every death possible. But brothers and sisters, it is not possible to win the battle of the ages without some losses here on this planet. But are they really losses? Do we really believe that there's a heaven or not? Or do we or is this just a nice word in a book that we read? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that this earth is passing away? It's crumbling and under decay and groaning. That, it's, that as beautiful and wonderful as it is, it's under decay and a curse. And there's something far better, you know, that we're going to. That's what I believe. One of my mentors is a engineer and he loved roses they had a rose garden outside his house and he was looking he was out praying and looking at a rose and just amazed at the beauty of the rose and the lord spoke to him one day in his quiet time and said gordon that rose is beautiful isn't it and gordon was weeping he said so beautiful your creation god and god said gordon that rose that you think of beautiful is under a curse wait till you see the rose the way i created a rose to look like and gordon was like whoa you know revelation crying more then god said gordon and that rose that's so beautiful to you that's cursed grew in dirt that was cursed. And look how beautiful it is to you. Can you imagine what a rose looks like that I created that grew in the dirt of heaven? And Gordon's like, whoa, you know, and weeping again. And then the Lord said, Gordon, and that rose which is cursed that grew in dirt that was cursed, you're looking at it through eyes that are cursed. Can you imagine, Gordon, what roses look like in heaven that you're going to see that I created growing in heavenly dirt with your new heavenly eyes? And Gordon's brain just melted and came out his ears, you know, at that point. (laughs) As beautiful as this planet is, it pales in comparison. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for us in heaven. And so why, why do we put so much value on the stuff that's passing away when there's such stuff that's so much better waiting for us? Okay, so I don't believe we should go around like be stupid, but there will be martyrdoms if we're going to take the world for Jesus. You know what I need in Afghanistan? You know, I need some more missionaries to come and help. You know, you know what we're doing? We're rebuilding aviation. I told you that. You know what? This is going so well, you guys. Uh, that the government of Afghanistan, uh, that um, we've had to start a flight training school in YWAM. 
you know, I won't show the whole video. We have to tr- start a flight training program because other governments are saying, would you come and rebuild our airport system as well? The Sudan, where more Christians, three million Christians have been martyred there in the ta- past 10 years. You know, uh, Matt, who works with me, wave at everyone. He was in Darfur. You guys have heard of Darfur, you know awesome, uh, horrible place where there's a battle between Islam trying to stamp out the Christians. You know, Sudan is saying, would you come and do in the Sudan what you're doing in Afghanistan? So we need young people who want to learn how to fly airplanes, (laughs) you know, and want to use that for Jesus to come for training. I've got to start winding down soon. But see, the missionaries of the 21st century, they look a lot different than some of the missionaries of the past, you guys. But we've got to rise up as the church of Jesus Christ. Let me show you another cool thing. Oh, this is so awesome. Here's two of my young disciples, uh, Jacob and Sarah. They've got three kids. They've got a team of about 10 now. They're up in this part of Afghanistan in Eshkashem, you guys. It's right, uh, it's right at the border of Tajikistan where the Muslims are really, the Islamists are trying to take Tajikistan. Pakistan, Northwest Frontier Province, probably where Osama is, you know, and it's up here in the mountains. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. You know what they're doing up there? The way they got in with their team is they're doing an adventure tourism business. It's actually safe there, gorgeous, awesome hunting, camping, fishing. You know, also you could go across the border to the Northwest Frontier Province and try to find Osama if you want. $25 million more than pay for your trip if you find the dude. (laughs) We can take... You want to go on an out, you want to have a nice vacation outreach combined. You like hunting, you like camping, you like outdoor fishing, high in high mountains, snow peaked. Come with us to Eshkashem. You go in through Tajikistan. You don't have to go in through Kabul. So uh, it's safe to get there. It's a safe part of Afghanistan, but it gives us access to the villages in, in those three countries all around to preach the gospel. They've got an adventure tourism business, a guest house, a women's center where the Afghan women can come in and take off their veils and have fellowship and start to learn more about the Lord Jesus and a 24-hour house of prayer connected with IHOP in Kansas City. Okay? This is the kind of new... This is the kind of... We need more missionaries there. See, these are the kinds of opportunities where we need to release our missionaries to these tsunami waves. Iran. Oh, you guys... Iran's closed right now. Hard to get in short term. Oh, my gosh. It's almost 8 o'clock. Sorry. <laughs> Is it okay? Am I okay or should I really quit? How many people say I should go a little bit longer? Okay. A little bit longer.